All right, good morning. How are we doing? Good. I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors on staff, if you don't know me. I'm also the uh, high school pastor and uh, director of Family Life. And I'm excited to just, uh, before we dive into our message, I want to tell you about a new event we have coming up for Student Life. Uh, we are we're excited to share that we have our first family game night coming up, all right, on April 29th. This is for middle school and high school students and, and their parents or guardians. And this is going to be a night uh, to battle it out in the ultimate game of Family Feud, all right? We love Family Feud, right? We've all seen the bloopers. They're hilarious. Uh, part of the night, we're not only going to uh, compete to figure out who the best family in River Glen is. Um, I have my picks. I'm just kidding. Um, I don't. We don't play favorites. Um, but I think I have an idea who will win. But uh, there's going to be some prizes involved. There's going to be, uh, for, the, for the winning family, some free uh, registration to one of our summer camps, which is huge. And it's going to be an awesome night. We're going to have dinner, a lot, lot of different things going on. So our goal in family life is to make stronger families and a stronger church. And sometimes making a stronger family is just carving out time to have fun and create memories together. So you can sign up two different ways. You can sign up online on our website. Just click the Students tab, scroll down to our events, and you'll find the information there. Or you can sign up uh, by grabbing a paper packet out in our family info areas. You can sign up as a family, uh, or you can sign up as an individual student if your parents can't make it, and then we'll uh, group you with one of your friends' families. So it's going to be a lot of fun. April 29th, be there. Uh, can't wait. If you have any questions, find me or Melissa, and we will answer them. So moving on. So speaking of students, uh, growing up, I was a rebellious one, okay? Are there any former rebellious uh, teens here? Anyone? Any, any current rebellious teens here? Yeah, they're not here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I don't know. But uh, the thing about being a rebellious kid is uh, you're going to get caught eventually. Whatever it is you're rebelling against, whatever it is you're doing, it's going to catch up to you. You could be sneaky. You could be clever. You could cover your tracks. But eventually... It's going to come back and it's going to bite you, all right? Now, for me, I got away with things most of the time. I'm really good at not getting caught, okay? But once in a while, I had to be kind of crafty uh, so I didn't get caught. So in high school, I was a golfer. And in Wisconsin, there's not a lot of options for golfers in the winter. And we had things like the domes at Curry Park. You could go and you could hit balls with that. got expensive. And so I came up with my own way of practicing golf in the winter. What I would do is I would hit these uh, wiffle balls, right? It's like a baseball wiffle ball, but it's the size of a golf ball. I would hit these in my living room, okay? And I would hit them into the drapes that covered our, our patio windows, okay? So it was like my own mini driving range thing going on. Now, some people might think this is stupid. I thought it was genius, all right? And, and it, was, it was free. It was, it was awesome, and I got my practice on. So it worked until one day it didn't work, and the club flew out of my hand. Okay, and it's like this, this flipping javelin flying through my house, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, no. Um, in a nice way, that's what I was thinking. Oh, no. And it, it didn't hit the windows, okay? It hit this piece of wall between the windows and a hallway, like a like six-inch piece of wall, and it just went right in like a spear, right? It just went like, and I, you know, like, I'm like, oh. So there's a club in my wall. So what do I do? All right, what do I do? I cover it up, literally. There's a picture six inches above it. I lower it over the hole that the golf club made. Voila, no hole, no problem, right? Until one day we moved out of that apartment and, hey, where'd this hole come from? Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. A, a golf club, I think. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, 
So, so that's, that's, that's one thing. I, I like to cover my tracks, but sometimes I don't even try. I don't fight. I just give right in. For instance, once in a while, uh, we'll be at home, me and my wife, Christina, and we'll be unwinding right before bed, and um, I'll be reading something on my phone, something very interesting like catching up from The Walking Dead or a BuzzFeed article about 50 uses for uh, queso. And I'll be reading this. This is very important. And she'll be talking to me, and I'm not listening. And then she'll say something like, so what do you think we ought to do? And I'm like, oh, right? So I used to say things like, gosh, could you email me tomorrow, like bullet point all the arguments and then I'll decide, right? Like, so, right? So like I can maybe kind of cover my tracks or I can be like, I don't know, let's pray about it, you go, right? Or something like that. <laughs> and now, now I'm just like, I don't know, I wasn't even listening, right? I just kind of throw up my arms and surround. I'm like, wasn't listening to you, I was reading about queso, I'm sorry, right? Just be honest. Two completely different attitudes, two completely different attitudes. Do I hold my ground, do I fight back, or do I surrender? Now, we all find ourselves in these positions. Do I hold out? Do I fight? Do I let go? Or do I just humble myself and surrender? Uh, because frankly, we all have a rebellious side in us, okay? We're, we're all rebels uh, to, certain, to a certain extent. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to push back. We kind of want to do our own thing. Uh, and we don't want to surrender. We don't want to give in, right? You and I, to varying degrees, are rebels. Now, not all rebels are bad, Right? Without the rebels, we won't have Star Wars. So some rebels are good. Sometimes you've got to stand your ground. But when it comes to uh, God, rebellion is not good. Right? There's a rebel in all of us, and it's the side that, that turns to God and says, you know what, I think I'm, I'm going to do this my own way. I think I'm going to live life my own way. Right? Thank you, but no thank you. I got this. Right? And it could cause us to do something wrong. It could cause us to do something unhealthy, something unwise. And eventually the consequences, the outcome, the impact of a rebellion can catch up to us. And it can hurt us. It can hurt others. And so we have to decide, uh, do, I, do I keep going this route? Do I keep holding my ground? Do I keep fighting? Do I keep going my own way? Or do I eventually surrender? Do I eventually surrender? During this series uh, called Encounters, we've been looking at encounters that people had with Jesus. We looked at Mary's encounter with Jesus where she anointed his feet with oil. We looked at uh, when Judas turned his back on Jesus. And both of these events happened uh, during the last week of his life. Today's encounter, we're going to look at uh, Jesus encountering these two criminals during the last moments of his life. And each of these guys, they're two criminals, two rebels, and they each have a different attitude towards Jesus, all right? And as we read about this encounter, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Who am I? Which am I? All right? Who, who am I? These two different guys represent two, two different groups of people. Where do I fit? So we're, like I said, there's the last moments of Jesus' life. He's been tried. He's been convicted. He is put up on a cross. And this is where we're going to pick up in Luke 23, 32 to 43. Here's what it says. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes, clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, the king of the Jews. So one of the criminals who hung, who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God 
He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you have Jesus being crucified with these two criminals. And, and Mark and Matthew actually, uh, in their own gospels, uh, refer to them as thieves, all right? These two thieves, three men, three crosses, two different attitudes, and one response from Jesus. So let's start breaking it down. You have the first criminal, right? He basically says, aren't you, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, right? From the first cross, what we find is rejection. Aren't you a big deal, right? Let's see it happen. Let, prove yourself. Show us what you got. This guy is literally in the same position as Jesus. He's slowly, he's slowly dying. He's, he's getting his punishment, yet he's insulting Jesus, questioning Jesus, testing Jesus, making demands. And if Jesus really is the king of the Jews, like he claimed, this guy doesn't believe it, right? This type of attitude was common towards Jesus. And, and we see it with the criminal, and we see it in the crowd that is gathered watching this whole thing take place. They're there, they're yelling at him, they're sneering at him, right? The Jewish leaders are mocking him. The Roman soldiers are insulting him, right? The crowd is rejecting him. Even the criminal who's up on this cross for everyone's entertainment, really, is joining in with the crowd insulting Jesus. So for many in the crowd, they were threatened by Jesus, right? The, the Jewish leaders, the soldiers, like the Romans, these people had power. They had influence. They had control, and they didn't want to give that up. And Jesus is, uh, Jesus is rubbed up against that. His teachings rubbed up against that, and they didn't want to lose that control. They didn't want to lose their influence, and so he had to go. He was a threat. He was a threat to these people. Right? So the criminal sort of goes with the flow, adopts the same attitude as the crowd, right? joining in the rejection and insulting. He also has criteria. He's got his own standards for what Jesus should be as God. Right? Aren't you the Christ? Doesn't look like it. I'm up here. I'm dying. We're dying. Why don't you do something about this? Jesus was not the type of God that this man wanted. Right? He wasn't what he thought the Christ should be. Right? So their rejection comes in the form of questioning Jesus' identity. Aren't you the Christ? For years, for three years, Jesus is going around, he's teaching, he's performing signs, he's performing miracles that back up his claims to be God, to be the Son of God, Jesus, God in the flesh. But for a rebellious person, it's never enough. That, that's nice, but, right? And, and, and so you need to meet my standards, you need to meet my expectations, my criteria for what I think the Christ should be. And Jesus didn't meet those criteria. For many people, including the thief, they had this idea of what he should be like, and he didn't turn out to be that guy. He didn't fit their system. His teachings didn't go with the flow, right? And so he had to go. Right? Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. He was a threat, which is why they crucified him, right? So going with the flow, following the crowd, testing him, questioning him, criteria, all this led to rejection of who Jesus was and what he was doing. But on the second cross, we find something different. Here's what the second thief says. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? So he's looking at the other criminal saying, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So from the second cross, we find acceptance acceptance of who Jesus is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? Not my kingdom. I'm not going to let you into my kingdom. I want to be in your kingdom, right? And this implies that this guy believes Jesus really is the king, the Christ. 
This thief, he hasn't lost sight of who Jesus is during this whole thing, right? Even when he's up on the cross, he still believes Jesus is the king, right? Even when he's enduring his own cross, he's not questioning Jesus, right? He simply sees him for who he is, a king on a cross. So first he surrenders, right? That's what it takes to accept Jesus as he is. It takes surrender. You have to let go. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to argue. I'm, I'm going to let go of my stubbornness. I'm going to let, let go of my way of life, and I'm going to embrace yours, right? Remember me, Jesus, when you're reigning, when you're ruling. No demands, no convincing, no bargaining, no get me out of this. Just Jesus, remember me, right? Along with his surrender comes admission. He admits a couple things. First, he admits his own guilt, right, as a criminal, as a rebel, right? And then he also admits Jesus' innocence, and that's huge. The first thief, he's mocking Jesus, right? The crowd is mocking Jesus. They set him up on the cross because that's what they think he deserved. And they mocked the fact that they thought he was the king of the Jews. But for the second thief, he was his king. And he wasn't getting what he deserved. So we have two completely different views of Jesus. One is uh, prove yourself to me, convince me. If you do this, then maybe I'll follow you. Then I'll accept you. But until I see some benefits, until I see some rewards... I'm not going to follow you. You don't look like a king to me, right? Why don't you start acting like the king that we need? And then the second guy says, I'm a nobody. I'm guilty. I'm the criminal. You're innocent. You're the king. Remember me, right? Two thieves, two completely different attitudes. And the question we got to ask is, which are we? Which are we? I don't think it's a mistake that these two criminals ended up there. I think God knew what he was doing when he positioned one man who is accepting, one man who is rejecting, and Jesus is in the middle, and it forces us to look at this whole situation, this encounter, and ask ourselves, well, who are we? Who are we? I think it's pretty easy to fall into this group that rejects Jesus. I think it's really easy because we go with the flow, right? What do others think about Jesus? What does society say? What do my friends say? What do my teachers say? What do my parents say? What does culture say about Jesus, right? And, and we go along with it because, frankly, it's easy. It's easier than doing our own homework, doing our own research. It's easy, easier than us actually seeking out Jesus, asking the right questions, going into Scripture, seeing who he really is. And so we just go with the flow, right? And we don't have our own encounter with Jesus we have an encounter with a fake Jesus that culture has painted him to be, and we miss who he is, and we don't understand what he did. And so we reject him. Or we have our own criteria, and he doesn't mesh well with it, right? I like my life. I like what I do. I like what I have. I don't want to part with any of this. I don't want to change my life for you. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to follow. I want to go my own way, right? Jesus, you're not the God that I want. And we make wagers. We say, well, if you do this for me, if then, then I'll follow you, right? I'll follow you. I'll believe in you uh, if you become the kind of king that I want. And we try to make wagers with the king of the universe, right? We're waiting for Jesus to become this king, this God that can fit neatly into our lives. So no complications, no interruptions, right? Jesus becomes a means to our end. And, and if he meets my, my criteria, we'll consider, we'll consider it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think it's good to ask questions about God. I think it's good to ask God questions. But I think sometimes we ask so many questions, and it's not because we want answers. It's because we want to find reasons to reject him, right? Because if Jesus is king, he's in charge. If he's in charge, I'm not. And if I'm not, that's a problem. Because I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own God. 
right? So I'm going to keep asking questions until I find something and that I don't like about Jesus, and that's going to give me a good reason to reject him. And we never surrender. We never come clean about our own rebellion, and instead we miss who Jesus is, we miss who we really are, and we end up lost. The prophet Isaiah explained this really well. He describes us humans like this. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And we're rebels. Deep down, all of us are rebels. Maybe completely, we just turned our back on him. Maybe, really crafty, we just kind of hide different parts of our life. Kind of don't give control over. Right? But to some degree, we're all rebellion. We're all in rebellion. We like Jesus, uh, but maybe we don't like following him. Right? But there is hope. There's hope for us to change. Right? We don't always have to be lost and wandering around because we can look at the second thief. The second thief, he was a criminal. He was a rebel. He was a thief. Right? He definitely lived a life that was no good because he said, I deserve to be up here on this cross. Right? This, Jesus is getting, he, he's, he's innocent. I deserve to be up here. So something happened in his heart to, to move towards Jesus and embrace him. From his rejection to turn to acceptance, from his rebellion to turn to surrender, from his doubt to belief, something happened. What happened in, in this man's heart? I would say he had an encounter with the real Jesus. The real Jesus. The Son of God, the King, the Christ, the Messiah. He encountered Jesus, this King, dying on his cross. And it changed him. Right? What changes our attitude towards Jesus? When we see him correctly, right? Who he is. He's the king. He's the Christ. He's God. He's in charge. And then we see ourselves correctly. I'm guilty. I'm a criminal. I'm a rebel. I'm a thief. And when we see him correctly, we see ourselves correctly, we approach him correctly. And we go to him humble, asking for mercy. Remember me. Remember me, Lord. He encountered Jesus. His attitude changes right? And here's what happened from the third cross. This is what we get. We find Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you're gonna, you will be with me in paradise, right? We find reconciliation, reconciliation. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, a lot of people read that and they, they, they understand it as Jesus affirming that this man is going to go to heaven. He believed and he's going to go to heaven. And that's definitely in there, Right? That's, that's, yes, that's part of what Jesus is saying, but it's, it's really not the best part, I would argue, right? It's not the best part because Jesus doesn't say, today you will be in heaven, right? That would be awesome, wouldn't it, if he turned to him and he said, today you're going to be in heaven. I think if I was that man, the criminal on the cross, I'd be like, awesome, way better than this situation, right? Right? But <laughs> what makes this even better and don't miss this. This is the good news. This is the gospel. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. We all need to remember this all the time is that when you approach Jesus with this kind of attitude and you embrace him, what he says to you is, you get to be with me. That's good news. You get to be with me, right? We're going to be with him. All this is going to be done. The pain, the suffering, this, this broken world is going to be done. I'm going to be reigning. I'm going to be ruling. I'm going to be in charge. And you're going to be with me right there. That's awesome, that we criminals, rebels, that have turned our back on our creator get to be with him. Why? How does this happen? How can he say to this criminal who by his own admission says, I should be up here, I've lived a life that deserved this. How does Jesus say to this man, you get to be with me? It's not because he's a good guy, right? He doesn't look at him and say, hey, 
I know you're up here, but you did some pretty sweet stuff once. You're in. Right? He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't look at him and say, you know, I'm going to balance out your good and your bad. You're in. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say you've suffered enough. I'm going to forgive you and let you in. He simply looks at him and just says, truly, I tell you, you're going to be with me. Right? And that's because he's not looking at this man and anything he did. He's saying this because of what Jesus was doing. Right? Jesus was reconciling. Jesus reconciles us to him. Right? Now listen to this passage. This is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was like the rebel, okay? The rebel until Jesus uh, basically made him his apostle. And Paul is going to explain how Jesus reconciles us to him. Right? And it's not because of anything we do. It's all because of what God has done through Jesus. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a believer in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, our rebellion, what the Bible would call sin, right? Sin, our rejection of God, it causes this separation, this void, this chasm between us and God. Again, Isaiah explains it like this. He says, your sins have cut you off from God, right? Just broken, right? Sin, separation, no paradise, no with him, nothing. But Paul writes, God was changing things. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, right? Not counting our rebellion against him. So what was he doing? Was he ignoring our rebellion? Was he just kind of letting it go? No, he was dealing with it. He was actively dealing with our rebellion. Here's what it says. God made him, Jesus, right, who had no sin, he was perfect, to be sin for us, so that in him, when we believe in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become just like Jesus, accepted, reconciled, in a relationship. Sin causes separation from God. So God wanting to be in a relationship with us, wanting to fix this whole situation that we're in, he sends his son Jesus to earth to live a righteous life, not a rebellious life, a perfect, trusting, faithful, just amazing life. And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, what happens is he doesn't just take our sin. Paul actually says he becomes our sin. It's hard to even fathom what that means. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to be rebellion. He became rebellion. So Jesus, who lived this perfect, spotless, innocent, faithful, trusting every moment of his life, he, he becomes a, a criminal. And on that day, there are three crosses with three criminals because Jesus became one for us. Right? He became sin. He became a rebel. He became my sin. And he became your sin. So, so he became a liar. He, he became prideful. He became bitter. He became greedy. He became uh, selfish, hateful, an adulterer, self-righteous. He became all these things that we are, and he became that. And he endured separation, he endured the punishment, and everything that we are, all those sins, died with him. 
right? So our sins have now died. And by dying, there's no longer separation between us and God. They're gone and we can be reconciled to him. It's incredible. That's what he accomplished on the cross. That's why he can look at this criminal and say, you're going to be with me because everything that got you here is gone. I took care of it, right? By turning from our ways, uh, admitting who we are, admitting who Jesus is, by accepting him, surrendering to him, embracing him, we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. It's incredible. It's incredible. We're reconciled to him. Also, Jesus turns us into reconcilers, right? We, we go from like the opposing team to now part of the team, right? Paul says it like this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, right? We implore you. I love that word. I don't even know what it means. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I'm going to look it up, right? I believe when we accept Jesus, he accepts us as we are because he's done away with everything that makes us messy, makes us lost. He's done away with it, and he accepts us, and he gives us a job to do, and it's awesome, right? He says, you have a job to do, right? We're with him. We're in this relationship. We're united with him. We're with him now, right? Not just, we're not waiting till paradise to be with him. We're with him now. But we're not in paradise yet, are we? Right? No, we're in Wisconsin, okay? Yes, it's nice, but it's not paradise, right? So until we get to paradise, he's like, here's what you're going to be doing, right? And Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to go out, find rebels, find rebels, people who have rejected God, right? Uh, people in the crowd, people on the defense, people who have these criteria for God, right? People who have these ideas about who God is, people who believe in a fake Jesus, they don't know the real one, go find them. Help them see who Jesus is. Help them see who they are. Help them see their need for this, this amazing man, right? Help them see uh, who Jesus really is. Help them have an encounter. That's it. Ministry of reconciliation. Help people have an encounter with Jesus, and Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors. We represent him to others now. So through our lives, through our attitudes, through our actions, through our interactions, we represent Jesus to people. That's amazing. And, and that maybe through those interactions, something might happen in their life where they have an encounter with Jesus and embrace him. It's, it's my job. It's your job. Right? We're not just reconciled to sit around and wait for paradise. It's like, Go get some people and bring them with, right? We got work to do. So I love this story because it shows that it's never too late to accept Jesus. If you've ever heard of like an 11th hour confession, this is 1159. This is cutting it close, right? It's never too late to turn from our rebellion to Jesus. And some of you need to hear that because you think it's too late for me. It's not. It's not too late, right? But understand this. The longer you wait, you might lose out on having an impact and helping other people, Right? We have been reconciled by Jesus to be reconcilers, to help others have their own encounter. So, so the question is, who do, you, who do you have in your life that needs to have that moment, needs to have that encounter with Jesus? They don't know him. They don't know the real Jesus, right? How are you going to do that? Is it going to be a, a conversation you're going to have, right? Some of you are able to do that. Some of you, you just need to have, they just need to see Jesus, right? And that's, 
Easter is the time to do that because we're going to talk about his death and his resurrection. This is what makes Jesus the most unique human being ever. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. No one's done that since. All right? So help them come here, have an encounter with Jesus during our Easter services. Right? Invite them. Invite them. Right? Or maybe you, you, ha- you know someone, they just have a lot of questions. You're like, I don't even know how to answer these questions. We have a speaker coming up in May. We're really excited about this. His name's Jay Warner Wallace. He's a cold case detective. And what he does is he defends the Bible. He defends, uh, he uses apologetics to defend God. He answers a lot of questions. Very bright guy, right? He'll be here in May. A lot of people need to hear what he's going to have to say, right? So there's no one that doesn't need to have this encounter because there's no one who isn't a rebel, right? We all are. We're either a rebel who rejects or we're a rebel who accepts. That's it. Now, I've been asking, who are you? But I want to end by asking you a different question. Who do you want to be? Right? Who do you want to be? Are, are you tired of running? Right? Are you tired of rebelling, tired of rejecting? Do you want to change? You can. Are you reconciled to God but kind of sitting on the sidelines, not, not really bringing people with you? Right? You've been saved, you've been reconciled, you've been forgiven, not because of anything you did. And that's an amazing gift. And I think once we understand that gift, we want to bring people along so they can experience that gift too. Right? Do you want to be reconciled? Do you want to help others be reconciled? I'd like to end with some time in prayer with the hope of, of uh, moving us towards accepting, accepting Jesus or accepting our role as his ambassadors as our, with our ministry of reconciliation because God made us, um, God made a way for us to be with him forever, right? And I want you to accept that and I want you to accept your role in helping other people get there, right? So for some of you uh, during this time, this is gonna be maybe the first time you accept Jesus. You're a rebel. You've been fighting and it's time for you to surrender. If that's you, this is what I'd like you to do. Just simply admit to God who you are. You're a rebel, Right? Confess who Jesus is. He's God. He's king. And ask him to remember you and find that forgiveness, find that reconciliation. Right? I'm going to uh, give those who need to have that moment of surrender, I'm going to carve out some space and allow you to do that. And then what I'm going to do is just pray, um, close out our service, and then we're going to take communion together. So if you guys would just bow your, uh, bow your heads and we'll just leave people a moment. Oh, Father, we, uh, we love you so much. Uh, we thank you for your grace. You know, we rebel, we run, we go our own way. We're so crafty, so creative in how we do it. Uh, but the truth is we've all turned at some point. Um, but you still embrace us. You still love us. I just ask you help us remember that today, every day, who you are, that you're a God who loves us, you're a God who sent his son. Um, and that's proof that you want us. I pray for those who, who do rebel, that you help us re- just know we can come to you. I pray for those who are, you know, maybe sitting on the sidelines, a little hesitant to embrace their role as a reconciler, to give us guidance, give us courage during our conversations, and just help us uh, embrace this role as ambassadors, as, as reconcilers, and help change this world. Uh, we do it for your glory. We do it in your name. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are someone who's you know, surrender to Christ for the first time, here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, on your way out, tell someone. There's a lot of people from staff that you can talk to. Um, just tell us, you know, hey, 
This is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. Tell us. Second, becoming a follower of Jesus can be a very private thing, but there's a public aspect to it as well. Jesus says, be baptized, right? Celebrate. Celebrate what I've done for you. And baptism is a, it's a picture of what's taken place in your heart. Um, this, this, when you identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, baptism is a picture of that. And so we celebrate that. So if you want, um, you know what? Baptism's filled up. We'll baptize you today. Um, you can meet me up front after service. Otherwise, we have a baptism service next week uh, during our Easter uh, weekend. Go out to the info center. Give them your name. We'll contact you this week um, and talk to you about it. And then um, every week we celebrate communion as we're doing. We take the bread uh, that represents his body. We take the juice that represents his blood. Um, we take it in remembering who he is. So let's take communion together and remember Jesus is sacrificing his life uh, so that we could have life.